15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. I repeat myself when under stress. So This is Adrian Blue. Keep listening to WCBN FM right here in Ann Arbor. You, Adrian. Sex, sleep, eat, drink, dream. This is war to extermination. Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screams of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug, flesh shuddering from the ovens, prisoners of the earth, come out, storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift lingles, break doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room, towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, bound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride, music beam, back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. 30 p.m., and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Are there any cats in the house? John Boehner, responding to his inability to collect the vote, said it's like herding cats. I thought, wow. That's an opposite description of the Republican members of Congress. Yeah, in part, but uh, it also implies that there's some degree of effort to herd is to attempt to herd and i don't get any sense that boehner attempted at any point to do anything he just sort of rode back and waited for the inevitable to occur which has happened well his problem was he signaled early that he wasn't going to quote allow the default to happen obviously this kicking the can down the road isn't even down the road it's back in the gutter and we're going to go through this a couple of months nonsense in a couple of months obviously uh i don't know federal workers ought to send thank you notes to the republican caucus they got a 16-day uh paid holiday basically uh so we don't need to uh, belabor this uh ongoing disaster in the republican caucus i think there is an interesting analysis by the way in the Sunday New York Times about these various caucuses 
uh, the factions in the House of Representatives. And it's interesting that the Democrats are now down to two factions, whereas the Republicans are now broken up into six factions. And uh, one can see quite clearly from the electoral map that um, the moderates, to the extent that there are any left, are in uh, the Northeast and uh, the tip of Florida and the tip of Washington and pretty much nowhere in between. They're obviously under a second category of 44 members called the GOP leadership. 20 moderates, by the way, uh, including Peter King, who's one of those congressmen who is on the talk show circuit quite often, usually demagoguing about terrorism. He, of course, distinguished himself uh, a long time ago uh, being a vocal opponent of the impeachment of Bill Clinton back in the 1990s. So he's always had a little independent streak. But uh, you can see that the Tea Party affiliates, the shutdown strategy group and the Tea Party core, which consists of 42 members, uh, are... Pretty much scattered in the core red states of America. And I think that this is the fundamental problem with the Republican Party. I think they have marginalized themselves even further. It'll be very interesting to see what happens uh, with the special election in Florida coming up in a couple of months. One of the old veterans of the House of Representatives died this, this weekend, Bill Young. And... Uh, he actually represents a marginally Obama district, but he's been an incumbent for many, many years. So that may be a barometer of uh, what's going to happen uh, in the future. I'm not too sure if his widow is going to run for the seat. That's always a factor in these special elections, but uh, that might be a little barometer to keep your, your eyes on. And as for the uh, debasement of the currency and all of that other stuff... America is still in a kind of an unusual position that there are no viable alternatives at the moment. But there's now open discussion uh, amongst our, shall we say, capitalist rivals about the problems uh, with this uh, management of uh, fiscal policy here in the United States. And uh, essentially because the Eurozone has been in a sort of a crisis for the last couple of years and China is regarded as unreliable, at the moment, there are no viable alternatives, but there's open discussion about creating a reserve currency and dropping the dollar. So, stay tuned. Yeah, and you mentioned management, uh, and uh, you have to wonder, uh, one of the other factors behind this splintering of the Republican Party Traditionally, a party that has aligned itself with the business agenda, pro-business agenda, whether it be corporate or good old small businesses, which they like to emphasize, um, the extent to which some extreme right-wing businessmen like the Koch brothers and the Fox so-called news industry um, seem to be tearing the party uh, further to the right, and you wonder to what extent sort of moderate, uh, responsible corporate management types to the extent that our elections are managed by funding of uh, advertisements and so forth, to, to what extent uh, there'll be a pushback from the more moderate reason-based uh, corporate elite, uh, is the Republican Party worth saving for them? Or is this 
just going to, you know, obviously there's been some movement of the left towards the center. I think Clinton definitely brought the center to the right, uh, was part of his strategy and you know worked for him uh, for re-election and so forth. But uh, where will the responsible, reasonable business elite throw in uh, their allegiance to? It might not be the Republican Party anymore. Yeah, and it's interesting, of course, the Democrats started uh, realigning, really, if you look at the historical record, starting in 1948. They began losing Southern Democrats. Uh, the Dixie was solid Democrat. Mm -hmm. Dixiecrat. So, Essentially for the, yeah, essentially for a century because of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, uh, believe it or not. Uh, and, of course, the re he was a Whig originally. And the Whig, the Republican Party may go uh, the way of the Whigs uh, here because it's a little unclear how they reorganize their uh, caucus. One of the problems that I've had with John Boehner, and uh, he is a very strange fellow, I think a couple of the uh, press conferences he had, uh, it was pretty obvious he had been drinking. Slurred speech is what I noticed. Uh, and he's known to be a bit of a boozer. And I'm sure that he's uh, been boozing it up uh, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks because he always has this expression on his face of a kind of a permanent migraine. He doesn't know where to go next and when he said herding cats i i, I kind of laugh because uh that's just an odd expression to use but i think he needs to get back to the concept of does he want to be speaker of the house or right does, does he want to be the leader of this motley collection of disjointed income poop? yeah the yoho crowd <laughs> and louis gomert i mean some of the comments uh the tea party people have made publicly uh, declaring victory of all things is remarkable let's remember that 188 members of congress essentially voted to default on the debt and we've talked about this before there's confusion about and i think horrible media analysis of this conflict instead of presenting the historical facts they've turned this into the usual washington circus in which there are two sides to the story so to speak but there really isn't uh there's the viability of the american dollar or or not and uh to openly vote for default uh, i think is uh, irresponsible and is a clear violation of uh, their uh, oath to uphold the Constitution. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that, uh, well, Article uh, uh, section, uh, the, the 14th Amendment lists that America shall not default, shall not be questioned, right. unless there's an insurrection. Well, there is sort of an insurrection here. There seems to be a significant member of one of our major parties that openly wants to default on the debt with crazy arguments that this won't hurt us. And also crazy arguments that this is what the founding fathers would do in today's context. This sort of, I mean, the whole Tea Party designation is this bogus, uh, sentimentalist, uh, romanticized view that's completely divorced uh, and detached from anything to do with the Constitution. Yeah, and I've it's read... It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy, and, and if you go back and you actually read uh, some, some you know, interesting biographies of Alexander Hamilton, uh, certainly one of the most uh, fascinating 
founding fathers we ever had uh, because he was and not probably one of the most modern. You know, well, he, it was interesting because he was disqualified to become president. In fact, there's a Born in the Bahamas. pretty interesting theory that the clause in the Constitution about being native born was specifically put in there to prevent him, him from becoming president. Well, the Virginia boys did not want him in for sure. So, And of course, uh, he was the uh, one of the authors of the Federalist Papers. But George, banker, business elite, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a resident of New York City. But one thing that's quite clear, uh, regardless of your politics, Alexander Hamilton knew something about finance. Uh, the American government was heavily in debt to start its existence. And this is why and how government bonds were uh, developed here in the United States. Bonds go back a long time ago. Uh, you can go back and read ancient history. Kings, when they wanted to raise uh, an army, had to borrow money. And that's what a bond essentially is. That's, that's how a government is funded uh, both at the federal, state, and local levels. Uh, and it's the debt rating. In other words, one of the reasons we see all these problems in the city of Detroit, for instance, is that the uh, bond raters, so to speak, don't view Detroit as a well-managed city. Well, it hasn't been. It's been a circus of corruption and incompetence. And socioeconomic setback. And socioeconomic setbacks. There's, there's fundamentally an eroding tax base there. And there are lots of problems. But Alexander Hamilton was appointed first treasurer of the uh, secretary of the treasurer because George Washington said, well, I realize that Hamilton and Jefferson are fierce opponents in politics, but you know what? I'm going to put the best guy in charge of diplomacy, Thomas Jefferson, our first Secretary of State, and I'm going to put our expert on business finance as Secretary of Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. And Hamilton, of course, had worked with Washington during the Revolutionary War. He sort of self-appointed himself general, although I'm sure he was called commander at various stages of his career. Uh, so, it, And, of course, one of the reasons that Hamilton is fascinating is that he was killed in a duel uh, by Aaron Burr, who at a later point in life attempted to take over the United States government from Blannerhassett Island in the middle of the Ohio River. One of the more bizarre things in uh, American history. And, of course, Burr and Hamilton were fierce political opponents in the state of New York, where they both uh, got started in politics. Well, uh, you know, revisiting this whole debt uh, ceiling thing and sequestration and whatnot in a couple of weeks, or a couple of months, I think they got to revisit this in January. It just strikes me as absurd that this is going to be, we're going to be going through this again. This is a bad rerun. Well, uh, you, you mentioned, too, the crucial point that the country began its existence in debt. Yes. Uh, the only way you can really, uh, for young people who are just getting started today, uh, of course, they're going to offer you a credit card pretty early. You're going to college. But the way that you demonstrate your ability to maintain a credit card is to get some debt. Yes. You can't get credit until you have some debt. And then they see how you pay it back. Because the whole concept here is good faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what needs to occur. Uh, there's always going to be debt. You're always working towards getting rid of it. Uh, you never quite do. 
It's just the way uh, it works. And so the entire concept of kicking this can down the road is sort of a, it's a continuous hedge on the very concept of good faith. Well, and it's interesting, too, that the I believe I heard this in the original debt ceiling uh, debate back in 2011, that the Latin derivative of credit is to believe. Credibility. Yeah, credos, credo, yeah. a belief. Right? Yeah. So it, it's connected. And it's interesting that, of course, I mentioned Thomas Jefferson. Uh, one of his roles uh, before, uh, one of the reasons he didn't sign the United States Constitution was that he was the minister to France at the time. And the United, it's well known that the United States borrowed heavily from France to finance the revolution. That's why we were in debt. And, of course, France was a obvious rival of Great Britain. Right. That was a cheap way for them to uh, frustrate and annoy uh, British interests. Uh, it was to yeah. throw money towards the Americans, and they'll pay us back. We hope. We hope. But we did, eventually. And uh, it's interesting that the root... Uh, the roots of the Republican Party, the Whigs, uh, back in the 1830s, uh, 1840s, when Henry Clay was Speaker of the House and an opponent, incidentally, of Andrew Jackson, the Whigs were the, were the party that believed in, in financing roads, canals. They believed in spending on infrastructure. The concept being we need infrastructure to move farm products from the West back then, which, of course consisted pretty much of anything east of the Mississippi River. That was called the West, that area between the Ohio River and the Mississippi, where the Whigs were strong. And uh, the Whigs believed in uh, national improvement. They, they had a phrase for it. Eisenhower, for instance, built the interstate highway. Why? Well, he had been to Germany during World War II and saw how effective and how uh, well-designed the Autobahn was for the Germans. And it's quite clear that there it's were... It's good for trade, it's good for business. Yes, and of course there were obviously Cold War objectives as part of the uh, building of the interstate highway system in the 1950s. So I think that the Republican Party is uh, barking up the wrong tree, and uh, cats can climb trees, but uh, sometimes when they get up in the tree, they don't want to come down. So uh, keep hurting the cats, John. <laughs> and oh, Dave... You can come out from under the mushroom now. Right. Uh, that's in honor of Dave Camp, who is, uh, I believe, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and seems to be one of the most invisible men in Washington at the moment. Uh, he seems to be a cat that might be uh, hiding in the corner looking for mice. Or lost underneath the fold-out sofa. Now, speaking of countries that... Uh, finance quite a quite a quite a few things i wanted to give a brain damage award out to saudi arabia they were offered a seat on the national security council first time ever and they've turned it down uh claiming that they want to remain independent they want to use discrete diplomacy well we of course know that saudi arabia finances all sorts of shenanigans all over the middle east so this is a very... Secret Wahhabist armies? Yeah, well, Syria, <laughs> Afghanistan, Iraq, it goes on and on. And uh, I think that's kind of a surprising development. I don't know what to make of it. I well, don't maybe know the whole thing the is scenes, just uh, stagecraft uh, to offer some sort of illusory 
appearance of distance from behind the scenes machinations. Oh, we're going to publicly uh, not accept this uh, offer of a privileged position uh, to show our detachment um, when anybody who really follows the region knows the secret monies that are behind a lot of, as you say, shenanigans. So uh, hard to tell what the real intent is there. And by the way, one very interesting observation, and we'll kind of close this uh, debt ceiling nonsense with the... Uh, with a comment from Elizabeth Drew uh, in an article written on the 26th of September 2013 in the New York Review of Books, The Stranglehold on Our Politics. And I just wanted to quote this because I think this is a very interesting example of why we have uh, problems in Washington, uh, the gerrymandering problem. Uh, incidentally, just below this quote, there's a wonderful picture of Ted Cruz. Uh, looking like that uh, used head cheese salesman. He's an oily-looking character. Yeah, he looks like a weird cross between like a young, bitter Robin Williams and some sort of pinch-faced movie star yeah. from like a monster movie. With lots of grease on his face. I think he waxes his, his b pate or something. His forehead. His anti-immigration poise is really astonishing since he's a uh, Canadian of Cuban descent. Yeah, and it's very interesting because the immigration bill is one of the other examples of uh, inaction by Congress repeatedly. Uh, the Republicans seem to think that they're best off just obstructing and creating lots of talking points about immigration. But uh, the more they do that, the more... Hispanic support they lose. That's quite obvious from polls. But it's interesting to quote this this one paragraph from uh, Miss Drew, who's been a longtime analyst of uh, the, the details of what goes on in Congress and in Washington in general. She writes, while Obama won 51.1% of the popular vote in 2012 as a result of redistricting following the 2010 uh, the House uh, Republican House majority represents 47.5% as opposed to 48.8% for the Democrats. Or a minority, italics hers, of the voters for the House in 2012. Take the example of Ohio. Obama won the state with 51% of the vote. But because of redistricting, its House delegation is 75% Republican and 25% Democrat. And, w w you know, the 2010 elections were far more crucial than we realized because the Republicans did take over the state legislatures in many Midwestern states like Wisconsin. Uh, uh, they, they can, even in Michigan, Obama won Michigan handily, mm -hmm. even though Mitt Romney was uh, allegedly from Michigan, <laughs> one of his many houses. I, I didn't remember whether he had more houses than John McCain or less houses, but uh, they, they were around half a dozen each. It's remarkable. They could claim statehood in a variety of different places. Uh, but, yeah, our, our delegation and a few of our Republicans in Michigan, the moderate ones, did vote uh, for the, uh, the resolution that passed. Uh, I know that Rogers voted for it. I think Camp voted for it. 
but Justin Amash from the Grand Rapids area, who is now going to be challenged, by the way, by a mainstream businessman who seems to have deep pockets, uh, did not. And some of the other vulnerable so-called Tea Party uh, Michigan uh, members of the Michigan delegation may well regret uh, voting for default because uh, I don't know how they can be portrayed as fiscally responsible. So uh, we will see, but I think that that observation about the Ohio uh, delegation is indicative of why there are so many problems related to the gerrymandering and why maybe there need to be some reconsiderations of how these uh, districts are set up. There need to probably be nonpartisan uh, bodies that decide these things. This has actually occurred in several states like Iowa and uh, California. Not the state legislature, but nonpartisan commissions that decide what the districts look like so that you don't have these odd-looking districts that look like snakes where they go through uh, cities even and divide people into two congressional districts. Well, of course, that happened here in Michigan where Ann Arbor was sort of lumped in with yeah. as far west as Jackson. Very conservative. Uh, is splitting the sort of uh, southeast Michigan liberal-leaning uh, voting bloc. And that, of course, happened back in 1990. It's interesting uh, that uh, David Bonnier... Yep. Actually, it, it, I should say 2000. I'm getting the decade wrong here. David Bonnier was originally the target of the gerrymandering, mm -hmm. but when, once he decided to run for governor, uh, the state legislature decided to target Lynn Rivers instead. Uh, David Bonnier had represented a marginal Republican district, but he was a member of the House leadership and a very outspoken liberal, and I might add one of the great members of Congress. Uh, I'm sure that he was uh, absolutely amazed at this, uh, at these recent problems uh, raising the debt ceiling. By the way, you can raise the debt ceiling with a voice vote. You don't need to, I don't know, create this melodrama, this sort of manufactured crisis that uh, John Boehner created. Uh, he claimed that there's a Hastert rule. Uh, Denny Hastert was interviewed and said, there is no such rule. <laughs> so, John Boehner... Uh, the speaker has been drinking, not the piano. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, very brief comment about Jim Leland, by the way. Uh, I, it was announced today that he is uh, resigning as manager of the Tigers, and I just wanted to give uh, Jim Leland uh, one of the great managers never to win the World Series. Um, look, he got the Tigers into the playoffs consistently. He is a great manager. Uh, this, uh, well, this, the shakeup in the lineup that he made uh, worked. And really in game six, it was some base running mistakes that were critical and two kind of fluky grand slams. Uh, some of the weaknesses with the Tigers team, like team speed and uh, lack of depth in the bullpen are nothing a manager can do anything about. And uh, I'd like to also make an observation that there were some Kind of questionable balls and strikes uh, that didn't go the Tigers' way in this uh, critical game six. So he had been working on one-year contracts, and this was a great Tiger team that certainly could have won the World Series. But some of the minor weaknesses uh, in the in the way their team is constructed, team speed and uh, depth in the bullpen, uh, were exposed in this very tight series with the Boston Red Sox. So I'm sorry to see him go. He is a great manager, 
and there should be no criticism of Jim Leland for why the Tigers lost. Uh, you, you know, like he said, you 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 play the players that you that brought you to the playoffs, and I think if there's anything you can criticize about the Tigers this year. It was the poor decision not to put Miguel Cabrera on the d- disabled list back in late July or early August. Uh, it was quite obvious that he was playing exceedingly hurt. He couldn't run out ground balls. And they kept him in the lineup because he was pursuing a triple crown. And this was a big mistake because they needed him for the playoffs. And he was not at full force in the playoffs, though he did some hitting. But uh, Well, if Prince Fielder had been in better... yeah mental shape or whatever his personal issues were that's the was the big topic with him he's having uh, a then, tough uh, year and yeah. he's had some personal problems with his marriage and uh, his uh his you father know, had he been on the yeah. on the money with uh, the hitting then uh, cabrera's uh, injury might not have been so damning yeah and his father uh, apparently uh, we used to play for the tigers um apparently has stolen quite a bit of his money. So he's got a lot of personal issues that, unfortunately, I think he began taking to the ballpark. Uh, Detroit had good enough starting pitching to put Miguel Cabrera on the DL for 15 days, and they should have done it, and they should have done it in early August. And forget about the Triple Crown. That's a tremendous personal award, but it wasn't worth it at the end of the day. And I don't know whose decision that was, but... uh, Somebody should have said, no, we got to put this guy on the DL. He can't run ground balls out, and he can't move laterally to field balls. And these things actually, on occasion, uh, during the uh, 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 ALCS, uh, showed up. Well, since we have another minute, I'll make another sports-related comment. You mentioned the DL. Uh, Good news, uh, because it looks like Darren Helm will be uh, returning perhaps as early as this Saturday's game against the Rangers for the Detroit Red Wings. He's wow. a young, super talented skater, uh, flashy almost with his ability to go uh, end-to-end on the ice. Uh, needs to uh, sort of uh, complete on a lot of these breakaway chances that he gets and convert those opportunities into goals, but... Uh, uh, he is uh, a very talented young player, and he didn't play, I think, but one game in last year's uh, lockout-shortened season. Uh, so somebody will have to be bumped down to the minors uh, if Darren Helm comes up, but that's a good problem uh, for the Red Wings to have. It'll be great news to get Darren Helm back in the lineup. By the way, this past week uh, was sort of the uh, 40th anniversary of... <laughs> The final demise of Richard Nixon. Uh, I, I neglected to bring in my uh, chart of what happened between uh, October 10th, 1973, and the 20th of October, 1973. But this, uh, these events were monumental in the downfall of Richard Nixon. Uh, what we're talking about here, of course, is the Saturday Night Massacre and the events that led up to it. And at one point, uh, and I'll bring this in next week. Of course, not an actual massacre for those too young to remember, but uh, a sudden and unexpected firing. Yeah, and that happened on the 20th of of, uh, October uh, 1973, in which uh, basically Nixon ordered Elliot Richardson to fire uh, Archibald Cox. Archibald Cox had... um, 
received uh, a, a ruling that permitted him to s- continue to subpoena the tapes, and uh, Nixon didn't want those tapes. <laughs> those are private. Those are private. Personal. Private conversations.